Hi, and welcome to Mumspire, your go-to place for inspiration, information, and great tips on how you can become a happier and healthier mum. My name is Anna Maria, and I'm your host. I work as a naturopath, nutritionist, herbalist, doula, and yoga instructor. But most importantly, I'm a fellow mum. Today we're going to talk about first aid for children. And this is something that us parents actually should be really hands-on about. There is a lot of things that we could be informed about and prepared for when it comes to emergencies that could happen in our home, in the car, on the playground. And I wanted to talk about this because so much of what I share with you on the podcast and in my clinic and with parents is all about prevention, staying healthy by living a healthy life day to day, all kinds of great tricks to prevent anything from happening and staying happy and healthy. And I thought it would be really good to have a chat to a paramedic and talk about this first aid business, because essentially it is part of preparing ourselves for being ready when serious things happen. And as much as we don't like to really think about that too much and we just sort of cross our fingers and hope that it's not going to happen to us, um, I think it's really important to actually spend a little bit of time talking about what are the things that we should be prepared for and how we can do it. Today, I'm joined by Theo Malas. And Theo Malas is a lovely paramedic. I think actually all paramedics deserve medals because their work is so unique and so special and unbelievably hard. But I'm sure you will agree that Theo is just such a lovely guy and you can hear that his heart is so much in his work. He's an intensive care paramedic with over 10 years experience in emergency medicine. And this year, 2018, he received the Victor Chang Award for Excellence in Pre-Hospital Cardiac Care. And he's also the author of bubhub.com.au. Theo and his wife Chantelle has created True Blue, which is their first aid course. And they have a really valuable hands-on little aid workshop that runs for three hours. And it's aimed at empowering parents to have the skills to deal with life-threatening emergencies. And this is the stuff that teaches us parents what to do when we're at home, in the car, on the playground, as I said, when we are with our little kids. Theo will share with us a lot of insight into what his experience is when it comes to emergencies, particularly around babies and children. And we'll go into depth about some of the most common situations that us parents could face or might have faced. And I really loved having this conversation because Theo has such an honest and transparent approach to how we can be really proactive and informed about caring for our kids. You can find out more about Theo and Chantel's Rescue Blue, which is online at rescueblue.com.au. You can also find them on social media on Instagram, which is Rescue Blue Little Aid. Theo has been super kind and has given us Mumspire listeners a gift at the end of our talk. So stay tuned and grab your free gift from Rescue Blue. Without further ado, here is my really lovely conversation with Theo and I hope that you get lots of information and will embark on the journey to guard yourself with all the information necessary so that you can be as prepared and informed as possible. Welcome Theo. 
I'm so happy you could be on the podcast. Tell us a little bit more about you and how you ended up being a paramedic and started Little First Aid. And we would love to hear more about that. Thank you for having me. Firstly, it's a pleasure to be uh, on the podcast. And when my wife told me that this was happening, I got really excited because I've heard a few of your podcasts and, and I'm a big fan. So yeah, a little bit about me. I'm a current operational intensive care paramedic. Um, I'm also one of the 2018 recipients of the Victor Chang Award. Uh, I author for bubhub.com.au and I've spoken on the Toddler Life Support Forum by the Sleep Mama. And of course, I am the founder of Rescue Blue. Rescue Blue is a baby first aid company based here in Sydney. Um, however, we're operational throughout Australia. And yeah, I've been a paramedic for 10 years, about five years into to my role as a paramedic, I attended a job um, whereby a little girl, a five-year-old girl, passed away because basic first aid wasn't implemented by her parents. Um, that night I came home and my wife was able to pick up that something wasn't quite right with me and she was questioning me what happened at work and whatnot and we started talking and I told her about the job, which is something that I don't tend to do too much. I try not to bring work home. But um, I told her about this particular job and the next day she came up to me and said, Theo, what you have in your head, what you, the knowledge that you have is invaluable and it's something that every parent should know um, and would you be interested in potentially starting a first aid business? And I said to her, I said, yeah, it sounds good, but you know, first aid's been around for a long time and it was actually her idea to, to really target in on new parents um, so we spent a few months working on the course and what we would be teaching. And of course we teach all of the, the accredited courses like every other first aid company out there, but also working on our little aid course, which is targeted just for, for new parents. Um, and we started, we started with friends and family, wasn't professional by any means in the beginning. Um, we had them over to our house and, and we just talked them through the course and we got really good feedback. And um, at the end of every course, we asked them, hey, what did you like and what didn't you like? And one of the things that everyone was saying was they liked that what, we was, what, what I was teaching them was practical and they could tell that, you know, I'm a current operational paramedic, I practice what I preach and, and I was teaching them a very practical approach to first aid. And five years later, we've trained thousands of, of parents um, and still to today, to this day, we – we ask for feedback at the end of every course and we are still getting the same feedback, which is we love the fact that you actually do this every day. We've got a few trainers working for us and all of our trainers are also current operational paramedics. So that, that's one of my biggest rules in my business is we only employ people that, that actually practice what they preach. And what that results in is a course that, that teaches people what they need to know and doesn't get caught up in the nitty-gritty, but um, allows for a practical hands-on experience and, and uh, eventually empowers parents with um, the abilities to, that they need to save their child's life, if need be. What an extraordinary story. I honestly cannot imagine, and I don't know that I want to imagine, like the, the things that you would have seen and the things that you see. So I really admire that you can do it and that you've, you know, sounds like you've poured your heart into this work. It's amazing. Yeah, it's been, um, been a while. And the vast majority of, of working as a paramedic isn't 
all you know guts and 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 people dying by any means it's quite a most of the time it's quite mundane but every now and then if you speak to any paramedic they'll tell you a story here or there of when things haven't gone quite right um but you know we we do our job with that in mind we know what we're getting ourselves into when when we start this type of work yeah, yeah, of course. And thank God there are people like you that they can. <laughs> I think ever since becoming a mum, I can't even watch a movie about a child, you know, being abducted, although it's total fiction, <laughs> you know, I, I become so sensitive. Um, so I do appreciate that you, that you can do it. Do you find that a lot of parents are sort of hesitant to, I think, I don't know, I'm, I'm thinking of just myself as well. Like there's a lot of things where I'm like, I don't know how to deal with that situation. I'm going to hand it over and we're going to call the emergencies. Do you feel like there is an overall sort of um, state of mind in parents that, well, we can't deal with this. We're just going to call you guys. And do you, and is that why parents are so happy after they've done the course, like learning that there are actually things they can do at home? Do you think that there's yeah, a bit of yeah, a gap absolutely. there still? Well, I think the first point that you're making is, you know, when, when to call the ambulance. Um, and one thing that I teach in my course is you call an ambulance as soon as you're uncomfortable with the way your child's presenting. There's no such thing as calling us for nothing. You know, if we get there and we, we ascertain, hey, look, you know, there's, you know, your child's fine and they don't necessarily need to go to hospital, then that's okay. It's okay to call an ambulance at any point. Um, and by all means, for all the listeners out there, as soon as you feel uncomfortable with the way your child's presenting, we encourage you, and this is Australia-wide, to call triple zero. Um, that being said, knowledge is power. So by doing a, a, a baby first aid course or any first aid course, um, whether it's through Rescue Blue, my, my business, or any of the other providers, you gain knowledge, and that empowers you to be able to treat treat your your, your, your child and the first part of treatment is recognition is being able to recognize when your child's sick and know what's going on with them and and then have the ability to do something about it and um you know that brings me on to the actual treatment of of your child which is very hard when it's your own kid or any family member um and even as a paramedic i remember when i first started as a paramedic and I think I was day two on the job and we ended up getting called to quite a, a big trauma. And as I was walking into the household, I was nervous. I was, I had, I was sweating bullets. I, my heart would have been going a million miles an hour and I was nervous. I was thinking, oh my God, they expect me to do something here. And my training officer, the, the guy that was training me up back then, he, he recognized that and he looked at me and he stopped me and he said, Theo, it's not your emergency. It's not your mm. emergency. And that's what I teach in my courses to, to the parents. Although we understand that your child is your number one asset. It is, your child is, you know, your life revolves around your children. You're no good to anyone if you're freaking out. So we teach a technique where they, we get our, our candidates, our, our students to stop, take a big breath, hold it for three seconds, and then progress into whatever treatment they're going to do. Because... Yeah, you need to be calm. You need to try to stay calm. And the way to stay calm is by knowing what you need to do and doing a first aid course. So knowledge is power when it comes to first aid. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think um, often a lot of the fear goes away if you have if you have some knowledge to pull on and know. Okay, I remember this, you know, situation from the course, and uh, I remember I have to do this until the ambulance comes. You know, I, and I imagine that is actually what saves lives, as you said earlier. Um, that, Absolutely, that the little things that could be done at home. What are the most common things that happen in family homes that could be helped with first aid? Are there any sort of, you know, anything that springs to the top of your mind where you're like, I wish Mm. all parents would know this? Okay. Yeah. So there, yeah, I suppose that question, um, there's two sides to it. So firstly, you know, what do we see a lot as paramedics? Um, and, And that in itself is a little bit convoluted because we get called to everything. We get called to you know, quite serious life-threatening emergencies to things that, you know, the child's got a pee stuck up their nose or <laughs> or whatever it is. Um, off the top of my head, if I had to, you know, name maybe three of the most common medical emergencies that we get caught and we see as paramedics in the family home, I'd probably say febrile convulsions is up there. Um, a febrile convulsion is a seizure that's associated with a high body temperature. Um, allergies that progress into anaphylaxis, um, definitely these days we see a lot of that. Um, and probably, you know, falls, you know, kids are learning to do everything. They're learning to walk and they're learning to talk, they're learning to do everything. And as they learn to crawl and walk, they fall over. Um, and that results in head injuries and other types of trauma, broken arms and legs and, and whatnot, depending where they fall. And all of these conditions, basic first aid can help out being able to identify Firstly, what's going on, and then taking a systematic approach, following the doctor's ABCD mnemonic, which is a seven-step action plan that you can employ on every single first aid emergency that you encounter, um, can help out with those conditions. But I suppose the second part of the question is, you know, I, I think you're getting at, which is a little, you know, what what tips could could we give? Um, when it comes to first aid, is that? Absolutely. We would love some tips. <laughs> cool. Uh, um, well, if I was to think of a few tips, the first tip I'd talk about would be to do with burns. Um, recently, I went to a job whereby a four-month-old baby was um, scolded. She had been burnt, and it was because of the same situation that we see a fair bit, which is mum's busy, she's been running around all day trying to look after the child and you know, do things around the house and whatnot. And finally, it comes to the time where mum needs to breastfeed and she sits down and she breastfeeds her child. Um, and at that time is the first time all day that she's had an opportunity to have a cup of tea. And in this scenario, that's exactly what happened. Mum made herself a nice hot cup of tea. She was sitting down breastfeeding the child and the child kicked and kicked that mug and that that hot water um, landed on the child. So rule number one, I suppose, tip number one would be do not breastfeed your child whilst having a cup of tea or coffee. As tempting as it may seem to do, um, try not to do that. You know, hot water, hot any, anything hot, hot liquids, shouldn't be anywhere around babies. Uh, the second tip is something that most first aid providers will we'll teach and it's something that we definitely teach and it's to do with drowning. Um, and that would be that when you're, so, so the tip is when your baby comes out of the bathtub, so does the plug. What we don't want to do is ever leave a large body of water in the household that, that could potentially become a drowning hazard. So when your baby comes out of the bathtub, as soon as you take them out, pull out the plug. 
Um, and lastly, I talk again. This is a job that I went to recently, um, which made me think a lot about this. And, and for this interview, I, I wanted to talk about it. Was accidental poisoning by medications. Um, I went to a job whereby a toddler, a four-year-old, happened to get into his mother's handbag, and without mum knowing, he ingested some of some medications that were in her handbag. So. I suppose the first aid safety tip here is firstly to make sure that all of your medications are kept in one location and that location is an extremely safe one. What we suggest is to get a lock box, a little box that you can lock um, and keep all of your medications there. Secondly, when you use your medications, once you've, you've taken your medications, chop away the used packets. And what that does, it allows us as paramedics, if we ever get called, called to a job where a child has ingested medications, to be able to identify how much of which medication they have ingested. Um, if every time the adult takes one of those medications, they chop away the used packet, and then all of a sudden the child gets gets their hands on that packet and takes you know, 10 of them or whatever it is, well, it'll be very easy for us to identify the dosage that they've, they've potentially ingested. Ah, oh, that's very clever. I would never have thought of that. That's um, it's a very thorough. <laughs> uh, I love it, and um, and I think that a lot of this, to be honest, right from the cup of tea <laughs> when you're breastfeeding, and to the bathtub, and to the you know medications in the handbag, or even supplements. You know, me being a naturopath, I have a lot of supplements in my handbag and on the kitchen counter, and um, there's often where I'm like, I have to put it in the top cupboard where they can't reach it. But I think you know, life just gets busy, and you just leave it in places but it's such a good reminder so thank you very much for that no drama and i think that's the the big point is it's life it's life and you know people like to have cups of tea and they they, <laughs> they yeah you're right people do have medications all around their house and you know they don't always pull out the plug when they take their child out of the bath but these simple little tricks um can really make a big difference from a first aid perspective and do you see have do you see any have you seen a difference or have you noticed any stats or anything in regards to parents becoming more proactive in their homes because we didn't used to have first aid courses available to us like it is now have you noticed that there is a difference spot on you are spot on there first aid um well firstly first aid has been around for a long time but baby first aid has definitely not been around for a long time and we're kind of at the forefront of this at the moment which is fantastic and the proof there is, you know, to all the listeners out there, just ask anyone of the older generation, you know, maybe mums or grandparents or whoever it is, if when they were pregnant, did they go and do a first aid course? And the answer is going to be no, they didn't because it wasn't an option to them. Um, nowadays, every Saturday and Sunday or throughout the week, parents are doing it. Mothers groups are out there learning first aid and, and that's resulting in better outcomes for, for patients. Um, things that historically could be quite life-threatening, things like croup that's left untreated for days and days on end. Well, nowadays, you know, parents are picking that up earlier because they know what to look for. They've done their first aid course. Um, so, yeah, absolutely, we're seeing better outcomes for our patients because we have a more educated community. And I can actually um, vouch for that personally as well. Uh, it would have been about two years ago I, um, I taught a first aid course and about six months later I, was, I ended up at a job with the organisation that I work for. 
And as I walked through the door, I recognized the, the parent and the parent recognized me and she'd actually done one of my first aid courses and she had implemented what she had learned and, um, and it, and it resulted in a very good outcome for, for their baby. And that was a little bit humbling for, for me at the time. I was a bit excited about it. But more importantly, the, the, the patient had a great outcome because basic first aid was implemented. It must be so rewarding for you to know and see that there is a difference. Uh, of course, you know it because you practice it yourself. Um, but it must be so nice to see that you know, when the light bulb goes on in the parents' heads, you know, once they've done the course and then they go home. I know that um, for my, for what I do for work, I have to uh, do first aid regularly yep. to keep it up to scratch. And every time I leave, I feel, have this feeling of like, I can save everyone. You know, I know exactly what to do if someone should, you know, fall and faint in front of me in the street. And it's such an empowering feeling. So um, I would just say that uh, if to anyone who's listening, that it would be well worth to do probably the best time you would spend because you feel so much more confident and, um, and it sounds like it really does pay off in real life from what you're saying. Absolutely. Absolutely. And any good first aid provider will make sure that their, their candidates, their students leave their course feeling empowered, confident, um, and feeling like they have an ability to do something. And one of my key phrases that I always say in every course and anyone that's listening to this who has done one of my courses probably rolling their eyes at the moment, but I continue to say is that you're better off to do something than to do nothing. You're better off to try to get hands on. First aid is essentially it's common sense. It's common sense, but it's also scary. So in our courses, we go over things a million times to take that that scary side away from it and go, okay, well, hey, look, what what do you think you do in this scenario? And most people they get it. They go, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. You know, roll the patient on their side if they're vomiting, so the vomit can come out of their mouth. Um, little things like that. So. Absolutely. First aid is 100% easy, it is empowering and, and definitely you're better off to do something than to do nothing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I remember, you know, that is definitely the message is to, it's to you know, just act, be there, you know, put your hands on and get get busy. I uh, remember yeah. a story I heard where um, a paramedic told me, I can't remember, this must be years ago now, that it, it was a really devastating outcome, but that uh, a man had fainted. I can't remember what from, or whether it was choking or, or a heart thing, um, but he had fainted and no one wanted to help. It was in the middle of the street, very busy area. Um, and because everyone kind of just froze and didn't want to be, I guess, maybe liable or maybe do the wrong thing, no one actually helped him. And it was very sad and he, he didn't live. But it was just, you know, that story has just stuck with me for years. I think it might be six, seven years ago since I've heard the story where I just thought the fact that, you know, if someone had maybe rolled him on the side or done something or done CPR to to just try and do something, potentially it could have been a different outcome. So it's really stuck with me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that comes down to American TV. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. it, and sorry to any Americans out there, but, you know, there's a big culture over there of suing people. Oh, you tried this and, you know, it didn't work, so we're going to sue you. And everyone here thinks that they're liable. But there's actually a, um, a piece of legislation called the Civil Liability Act, uh, I believe it's called, I don't have it in front of me, <laughs> yeah. but um, basically it, it's a good Samaritan act. It's saying if you try to save someone's life within reason, you know, you're doing basic first aid and they have a poor outcome, you're not liable. You're not liable for that. So for that reason, going back to what I, I've 
I've been saying, you're better off to do something. You know, if you go and roll someone onto their side when they're vomiting and their, their airways occluded with vomit and you roll them onto their side and they still end up, you know, dying, you're not personally liable for that. If anything, you're probably going to get a, a bit of a good on you from the paramedics that arrive saying, you know, you tried, you, you gave, gave this a go. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, I think it's a really very important message to just act and be present and at least make a phone call to the emergencies. That's right. And, you know, in all first aid, that is one of the first things that we do. We talk about, I think I, I mentioned it before, the doctor's A, B, C, D. D is for danger, R is for response, and S, which is our third step down, is send for help. You know, call zero early and when you call triple zero, most people these days have a, a smartphone, an iPhone or a you know, Samsung Galaxy or whatever it is. What I teach in my courses is to get your phone, dial triple zero, put it on speaker and put it next to your patient. Now you're kneeling next to your patient. You've got your phone on speaker. You're speaking with you know, the ambulance control center. You're speaking with paramedics on the other side that can talk you through what you need to do. And it's almost like a little bit of a, uh, a first aid hack, you know, like how mm. to make first aid easy. Put your phone on speaker when you call triple zero and they'll teach you what, they'll, they'll tell you what you need to do and they can talk you through it. Yeah, that's brilliant. I think that's a very good idea. Just put it on speaker. Yeah. Now, Theo, I have um, very often I get lots of questions from my clients Um particularly, and I thought we should talk about this because I know a lot of parents out there are interested in this, is around choking. And I'm Ooh. sure you get it too. Um, but because I teach a um, starting solids course, um, so particularly for babies around, you know, between four and six months, yep. um, well, obviously for the parents, but when it comes to choking, <laughs> when these little, uh, these little critters are starting to have solids, there are, you know, there are two different ways that we read about and in regards to starting solids. Some is about, you know, starting purees and the other is about just giving them lumps of food and, you know, little chunks of meat or vegetables and so on and not making it a puree. So what I get a lot is that um is that parents are worried that they're gonna choke. So yep. um, most of my parents that I talk to, they prefer to do the purees, but there is some evidence to say that it is better for their jaw structure and their development to not overly puree the food. Anyway, so this is sort of <laughs> very nerdy part of it. But I wanted to ask you, because you're obviously the one that get called in these yeah. incidences. I, is there a choking element? And what what's the truth around that? Because they, yeah, babies yeah. are so efficient at gagging. I have noticed I have three kids and they <laughs> are very good at getting stuff up if it's not, you know, going down the right way. So I would love Absolutely. to hear what's the, what's the truth so, about this stuff. It's interesting, hey, because I'd say choking, hands down, without a doubt, is the number one reason why people come and do a Rescue Blue Little Aid course. When I ask people at the beginning of the course, hey, why are you here? Put your hand up if you're here for choking. I think a good 90% of people probably put their hand up going, yeah, I believe yeah, that. Like, the other yeah. stuff's really cool, but what about choking? Now, yeah. the, the good news about choking is that the reality is it's very uncommon. It's very uncommon for someone to have a complete airway obstruction. Um, the bad news with choking is if you're unlucky enough to, to experience that, it, it can be life-threatening or it is immediately life-threatening. But going back to the good news, uh, from a first aid perspective, what you do as a first aider can absolutely save a life. Now, talking about choking, the first thing I would probably say is, you know, we live in a 
a time where information's at our fingertips. And to all the listeners out there, what I would encourage them to do is use the resources on the internet. The number one resource and what we base our courses around is um, the ARC website, so the Australian Resuscitation Council website, and their website is actually uh, resus.org. If you go in there and they've got a link to their guidelines, you can go under airway and they talk about choking and and you know how to identify what type of choking someone has and then how to how to uh, treat that choking. So first and foremost, everyone should go and have a look at that. Ideally, before starting solids, hey? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Be able to identify it um, and know know that we, we teach two different types of choking. You know, first the first thing we need to do is assess which type of choking it is. And part of that assessment is to allow for what you were talking about, which is the gag reflex. And if we were to talk a little bit about that, going back to what I was saying earlier in, in the podcast, kids are learning to do everything. They're learning to walk, they're learning to talk, and yes, they're learning to eat and swallow. And part of that learning process is sometimes they they muck it up a little bit. They, they make mistakes. And anyone that has started solids or their, their child has started solids will know exactly what I'm talking about when you're feeding your child and then all of a sudden they stop, they look shocked, they turn red in the face, they sometimes get a little bit sweaty, teary around their eyes, um, they kind of make this sound which I'm going to attempt now, it's going to be embarrassing but it's like uh, 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 like that <laughs> and they're not really breathing for that, that little while. And at that point, the parent looks at them and goes, oh, my God, what's going on? The parent's heart almost stops and then the child goes, <coughs> coughs it out and continues to eat like nothing happened. And that, that's that gag that we're talking about, um, at which point you, the parent sits there and goes, oh, my God, I need to do a first aid course. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when we talk about the treatment of choking, we need to allow for that. We need to allow for the gag reflex because we don't want to start employing back blows and chest thrusts if the child's just going to clear, clear the obstruction themselves. Um, but, yeah, so it's a very normal thing for, for the child to have a gag reflex like that. Once we've assessed the gag reflex, the next thing that we assess is does the patient have an effective cough or an ineffective cough? And that tells us a lot about that choking um, hazard or I suppose the object that they're potentially choking on because if they have an effective cough it's not a complete airway obstruction now what that means when we, firstly let's talk about airway what is the airway you know, if you look at the textbooks they're going to say or oh, the airway is the nasopharynx the oropharynx the larynx trachea left and right main bronchi bronchioles all, all the way down to the alveolar from a first aid perspective we don't need to know all that that's way too in depth all we need to know is the airway is the mouth, throat, lungs. And from a first aid perspective, we can't see someone's lungs. We can't really see their throat. We can see the top part of their throat at the back, but we can't really. The airway is essentially the mouth and the back of the throat there from a first aid perspective. So if someone has an effective cough and after they have some type of choking, um, we know that, they, that that object that they're choking on has blocked part of the airway, but not the, the whole amount of the airway. They're, the fact that they're able to cough means that the air and oxygen can get past that object. The next side to that is, do they have an ineffective cough? Well, if they had an ineffective cough, well, that would imply that whatever object they're choking on 
has completely occluded their airway. So when we think about our treatment for choking, just to recap, we'd go over assessing what type of choke they have, allowing for their gag reflex. We teach our Rescue Blue courses to count to 10 and look at your baby because in that 10 seconds, most of the time, the vast majority of the time, the child's going to cough up because of that gag reflex we've talked about. After 10 seconds, is your patient coughing? Yes or no. They've got an effective cough. Happy days, we're going to encourage coughing. Or if they have an ineffective cough, we know they have a complete airway obstruction or a severe airway obstruction, and we're going to go into the treatment for that, which involves our back blows and chest thrusts. The last thing I would say, which is going back to your question about do you puree or or do you give solids or whatnot, it's a bit of a personal one. And, and, you know, from my end, what I teach is, again, a little bit of a common sense approach. Um, and, And what I say is, you know, your child can't be having puree forever. However, they're going to have to get onto solids. But we can look at our solids and and assess whether they're a choking hazard and how can we make that a bit of a a lower choking hazard, if you know what I mean. So to put that into practice, what I'm talking about, I'm saying, okay, well, if you've got a grape and your grape is this perfect um, sphere-like shape and it's, you know, got that really tight skin on it and it's slippery, to me, I look at a grape and I go, right, a grape and a little baby's, or a, a, let's say a five or a six-month-old baby's airway, that there's a, a choking hazard. So what are we going to do? Never give our kids grapes? Of course not. Grapes are fantastic. I love grapes. <laughs> so <laughs> what can we do to minimize that choking hazard? Well, we can chop our grapes in half. Um, you know, just that, that common sense approach and trying to make it less spherical you know maybe breaking the grape down and and you know it's not as cosmetically nice it still tastes the same it still gets the same nutritional benefit but it it reduces the choking risk if you're going to give your child you know a piece of meat making sure they're, they're chopped small not giving them big chunks of chicken or whatever it is yeah I totally agree. And I'm, I'm really happy to hear this from you because that's what I've been saying. So thank goodness. <laughs> um, because I think it is that it is exactly as you say, you know, it's personal and it's also a fine balance because you need to, you know, have the common sense and, and make the food, you know, digestible and, and somewhat easy for them to get down because they typically don't have that many teeth. Um, oh, exactly. In that beginning stage, at least. And, um, and, but then at the same time, not, you know, if we were to make everything soup consistency for the first year, your child would get a shock when they were to first start chewing. So I think it is exactly that fine balance and, and common sense. Yes, we always talk about when they first start eating solids, but choking is something that it can affect anyone of any age group. So one thing that we teach in our course is to, and it might sound a little bit nerdy, it might sound a little bit, you know, over the top, but to get our toddlers when they're eating to stop, eat, play. That, that's what we teach. Stop, eat, play. Stop doing what you're doing. Sit down and eat and then go off and play. And that comes back to a job that I attended um, a little while ago where a child was eating and running around with his brother and his brother didn't realize he was eating. His older brother ran over and crash tackled him as he was taking a bite of what he was eating. And that, that trauma, that, that um, impact – cause that child to have a complete airway obstruction. Um, so that stop, stop, eat, play is, as I said, a little bit nerdy, but when you've got your, your, your toddlers, just making sure that that's a set rule 
reduces the risk of, of choking. And for the record, that child that had that complete airway obstruction had a very good outcome. They were fine. Oh, good. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> we all Whenever hold I our say breath. stories like that, people are like, so what happened to the Yes, yeah, so what happened? We need to know. Um, and I just wanted to back with that up because um, – uh, you know, I'm so happy you you mentioned that. I I teach exactly the same actually in regards to eating, but for different reasons. But I'm I love that there is a a double side to this. Is that um, I do believe that on a whole other, you know, uh, emotional and physical level that we need to not allow our children, no matter the age, essentially, um, but we need to teach them to to sit down and eat on a more of a you know preparing their stomach, their digestive enzymes and their hunger levels, all these different things, it's important that they actually sit down and know that they're about to eat rather than just eating on the go. But I love that there is this other side to it. Of course, if they're eating on the go, they, they could have something like that happen to them. So um, yeah, it's Absolutely. definitely brilliant yeah. advice. Fantastic. Yeah, I wanted to um, move on. This is such a, a juicy topic about choking. And I, you know, when as we were talking, I had this uh, flashback to years and years ago when I was probably 10 or 11 or something like that. And my, I have an older brother who is quite a, quite a bit older than me. And uh, when his first little baby was starting solid, so remember we were all together in the family and we're all, you know, looking and owing and iron over this baby, my little niece, and she choked and it, there was no sound. It was very particular. Like, you know, when a baby is making the sounds like, just like you were and they <coughs> couldn't get it out. But this one was quiet. She was silent and yep. she just went all just, her head just blew up like a balloon it looked like and there was yep. no sound and his reaction he just grabbed her by the foot I don't know how he did this but in that feeding chair he grabbed her by the foot swung her upside down and did a couple of jerks and out it came and it was such a reflect reflex I'm sure that's not necessarily what you teach in first aid but I just it popped into my mind that sort of I remember thinking my goodness and everyone else in the room froze no one acted but he just Absolutely. has this instinct to just turn her upside down and you know Swing her around a bit, and out it came. Thank goodness. Yeah, you know, and yes, we don't we, we don't teach to swing them around a little bit, but <laughs> we did. So he was kind of right there because what what we do teach is to get them in the heads down, bums up position. So use gravity. So you remember that game, heads down, thumbs up. We say heads down, bums up. So get their <laughs> head lower than their bottom, and and use gravity. And then we employ the five back blows between their scapula, between their shoulder blades, and we do it hard. Um, a friend of mine at work, actually, she's a, also an intensive care paramedic and she is very well respected, a very well respected paramedic. She's been around for a long time and, and someone that I look up to and, and say, well, you know, one day I'd like to be like her. Um, she told me a story about her own child who choked and same thing. She said it was silent. She said that he all of a sudden started turning pale and blue around the lips and she realized what was happening. She said she grabbed him, put him in the heads down, bums up position and she gave those back blows. And, and the reason I'm saying this is because she said that when she gave those back blows, she hit him hard. And that's what we teach. You need to hit them hard. You need to try to dislodge that airway obstruction. Um, and she was able to save her, her own child's life. Um, but yes, yeah, absolutely. What you're saying is spot on. The fact that there was no sound whatsoever, well, that tells me straight away that was a complete airway obstruction. The only reason you can hear me talk to you right now is because air is going past my vocal cords. So if I block my airway above my vocal cords, you're not going to hear anything. I'm going to be silent. And, and yeah, that's um, quite a common observation that people who have seen someone choke will say that there wasn't a whole heap of sound. 
Yeah, I think that's probably a good take home for the listeners is, you know, as you said earlier, count to 10 and listen for if there is a sound or not. But I must say from that memory and, and from my own three kids that luckily haven't choked um, or been near it, you know, I, there is a big difference when they're gagging and they sound awful and it sounds very violent and like they are choking. But the true thing is actually very frightening. And you, you kind of just know, you know it in your bones that something's not right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, the second thing that I get a lot um, in clinic from the mamas that I speak with is um, about fevers. And we talked about it a little bit earlier where you were talking about the three most common things I think that you see. And it's the febrile convulsions. And I know, of course, you can't, you know, I would urge parents to go and do the course because we can't really do this over a podcast. But are are there some things that you could share with us around the fevers and maybe sort of when to act, because I think, especially for new mums, but essentially for all mums, I find it with my, you know, my third child, even when she had a fever a couple of months ago, I couldn't help my, my heart was racing and I kept checking and you can't help but just be on this high, high alert, which of course is good. But I would love to hear what are, what are some of the facts around the fevers? When should we call you guys and when shouldn't we? Okay, so going back to, to what we said earlier, you can call us anytime. As soon as you don't feel comfortable, to all the parents out there, feel free to call triple zero. Never hesitate on that. We're happy to come. We're happy to assess your child. Um, when we talk about fevers, depending on which textbook you read, they'll say oh, normal body temperatures between 36.1 to 37, some say 37.5, some say 37.1, and, and it's all a little bit you know, wishy-washy. The way that we teach it in the first day, from a first aid perspective is a fever is anything over 38. So anything with a temperature of a thir- over 38 degrees Celsius um, is a fever. It would be a low-grade fever. What I'd like to say to your listeners is to think about your, your child and why they have a fever. Having a fever isn't an illness. Having a fever is a sign of an illness. So if someone has a high temperature, it's because their body is, is fighting an infection. Where, where is that infection? It could be a urinary tract infection. It could be an ear infection. It could be an upper respiratory tract infection. But your child is having a high fever for a particular reason. So with that in mind, we need to try to figure out what, what's really going on with our, with our baby. Um, the problem with fevers apart from there being some reason for it, is in kids, if someone's body temperature rises too fast, they end up with a condition known as a febrile convulsion. And febrile, you know, to simplify everything, and this is what we try to do in all of our courses, is simplify, simplify, simplify. Febrile being hot, convulsion, or three words that mean the exact same thing, is convulsion, fit, and seizure. So to simplify, I would say a febrile convulsion is a hot fit where their temperature rises way too fast and as a child they end up having a seizure or or a fit. Um, Again, from a parent's perspective, it's extremely scary to see your own child in that position, but the reality is it's not all that bad. Basic first aid, you'll be able to identify what's going on, place them in a protected area somewhere where they can't force onto a nice soft ground, a carpeted ground or whatever it is, um, allow the seizure to take place, and once it's finished, go through our doctor's ABC, at, at the end of which we get our, our baby down into a nappy and a singlet. What we don't do is when I, we don't teach to actively cool the child. We don't go and grab the frozen peas from, <laughs> from oh the freezer goodness. and try to cool them down and, and whatnot, but, yeah, just getting them to uh, room temperature. Um, 
again, calling triple zero early is, is a must when, when the child's having a seizure. Okay, I think that's good to know so they don't feel like they have to hold off. But I think when you see a child having a febrile convulsion, your first instinct would probably be to call because it looks um, pretty horrific, very frightening. Absolutely, absolutely. And we say that a lot. You know, some kids, once they've had one, they're susceptible to it. And, you know, the hospital gives them an action plan and says, look, that this could happen in the future and, and kind of runs through what to do with the parents. Um, from a first aid perspective, anyone having a seizure, we want you guys to call triple zero there and then. Amazing. Thank you. I think um, when uh, I wanted just to talk about when we're talking here about the fevers, when I when my uh, third child was um, very, she was maybe six or eight weeks, I ended up in hospital with her because she had a, a fever and uh, she had a viral infection. And because she was so little, I had to stay in hospital with her. So I saw lots of um, emergency situations happening in there. Um, but I remember when the pediatrician came in the final check to have a look at her and send us home, he said to me, that um, in, re- in relation to the thermometer, and I don't know if you're on board with this, but he said that all thermometers are essentially redundant after their three months, more or less. Of course, it's not all cut, cut in stone, but he said that it's in that first three months that it's really crucial to know the temperature because they are so reactive. And after that, it becomes a little bit less sort of urgent to check the temperature. And yeah. I, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. But also, he said that the best thermometer to use is the good old under the armpit thermometer yep, and not actually absolutely. the ear one or the there's all kinds of fancy ones. There's a forehead one, all kinds. But he said they're not going to give you the accurate temperature. Is that do you agree with that? 100 percent. Everything that, that you've just said there, I 100 percent back. Um, and you say that in all the children's hospitals all around Australia, the first thing that the nurses will do is they get their temperature out and they, sorry, their thermometer out and they take the temperature under the armpit. And it's one of those things where, you know, technology is always improving and, you know, you can get a little bit gimmicky where you've got thermometers on the forehead and, you know, a whole heap of new ones coming out or, or as you said, the older ones, it's panic ones that go into the ear. But yeah, 100% under the armpit is the way to go. And the good news is that they're the cheapest ones. I went Absolutely. straight out and got one and I was like, wow, it's <laughs> so easy and so cheap. <laughs> spot on, spot on. Absolutely. <laughs> Wonderful. So I think in rounding up, I wanted to maybe just sum up the most important elements here and maybe if there's anything you wanted to add to that. But I think maybe the, the sort of the three most important ones as far as you've shared with us and you've really shared so much amazing information, I really appreciate it, um, would be the, the staying calm. I think was a really big one, you know, counting to 10. And I guess that can't account for every situation. If if they fall and break an arm, it, there's no point in counting to 10. But more in relation to parents staying calm yeah. and, and, and acting out of a place of, of course, knowledge, because hopefully they've done a first aid. And if they haven't, they will do one now. Um, <laughs> so acting out of, of, of knowledge and also just learning to act from a place of somewhat calmness as much as possible. That's right. Absolutely. So, you know, kids, they react to a parent's reaction. So if mum's running around, the dad's running around freaking out, well, the kid naturally is going to freak out and start start getting quite upset. Where if they see that mum or dad is very calm and you know treating them, of course, if they're in pain or, or whatever, they'll, they'll be upset. But from a first aid perspective, it allows a more uh, controlled environment. And that's what we try to do. You know, from Again, from first aid, first aid perspective, we're dealing with our patients, our children in this case, in a very uncontrolled environment. We're not in a hospital where 
in a playground or at home and they've got other kids, you know, running around and doing whatever they're doing. So the number one thing is to, to remain calm and try to control the uncontrollable. So as soon as we've, we've stayed calm, our kids going to re- reflect the way that, that we approach them. Um, being calm, going back to what I said earlier, knowledge is power. So in order to stay calm, going and doing a first aid course and knowing what to do is is the number one way of learning to stay calm. It gives you the confidence and empowers you with the skills that you need. Um, and then, yeah, of course, calling calling triple zero early to try and get some more help there just to, um, to assess the, the patient or the baby. Thank you so much, Theo. I really think that um, this is such a valuable talk we've had and and I hope that you'll have an influx of new parents doing first aids after <laughs> listening to this. I'm sure that, I mean, everyone would feel really inspired now. And I, I just want to say in, in rounding up, I'd really, I really appreciate your work and what you're doing. And uh, we're very lucky to have you out there doing all the good work for us. Thank you very much for that. And, you know, it's every paramedic out there who's doing the same thing. We're all out there trying to spread the word and, and do good work within our community. Um, going to what you were saying there about you know, an influx of people doing the course, I'd like to just, just make mention that, yes, we'd love you to come and do a Rescue Blue course, but if you choose not to do Rescue Blue, that is absolutely fine. There's so many good, good providers out there that we could recommend for you. Follow If you follow us on our Facebook, you know, Rescue Blue on Facebook, or if you're on Instagram, Rescue Blue underscore Little Aid at Instagram, or just coming onto our website, which is www.rescueblue.com.au. We're always posting tips and tricks and, and the latest um, updates from the ARC, the Australian Resuscitation Council. So if people do want to stay informed, please follow us, uh, get in contact with us. And one offer that we're making today is if you – Send us an email. Send us an email saying that you've heard this podcast. So where you find our email address is on our website, or I could just tell you, which is hello at rescueblue.com.au. We'll send you guys back out a little it's a bit of a cheat sheet with for with regards to first aid. So it talks about, you know, back blows and choking and um, treatment for burns and our doctor's ABCD and also gives the poisons information line number and, and whatnot. So for all the listeners out there, if they're interested in that, just send us an email, say, Hey, look, I heard Theo speak on this podcast and um, I was wondering if I could get that and, and we'll send it out to you. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And um, I'll definitely put a link on my website as well to all that to your website. And so, so that parents can get a hold of you guys. I think it's so great. Thank you so much for taking the time today, Theo. And uh, I'll let you get back into the world and saving lives. <laughs> thank you very much. And thank you again for inviting me on. It's been fantastic. I've had a great time. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you have any questions or topics that you would like me to speak about, I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me via my website, annamaria.com.au. And remember to subscribe so that you get each new episode as they become available. I would greatly appreciate it if you could take a moment to write Mumsfire a review on iTunes. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time, take care of yourself and your loved ones.